Really glad that you're here. We are, um, obviously, uh, we have a theme going here today, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. Before we jump into that, let me let you know about something that happened this week. Uh, we asked you to pray for something last Sunday, and uh, I know that a lot of you did, and want to ask you to continue to pray. We had uh, the first meetings this past Monday, and they were long meetings, mo- met most of the afternoon, and, and then after supper into the evening, uh, with architects about design ideas for a building to put on our piece of property that we own out on Highway 290. Those meetings went extremely well, very encouraged by what we talked about that day. Uh, We're working with a company who they came in and they didn't just start off by saying, okay, how many seats do you want? They started by asking us questions. What kind of church are you? Who are you trying to reach? What are you wanting to accomplish through this building? Because they understand that, like we understand, that a building is not what a church is. We're already a church. We've been a church since the day that we first started. We've been building a church for about eight years now. Now we're going to build a building so that the church can meet inside that building and then go out from that building. But it's just a building. It's just a tool. And so it was a really good time, and I want to encourage you to, uh, to continue to pray. They're going to come back in just a couple of weeks with some ideas for us to start looking at. And here's what we're, here's what we're looking at. First part of the year. All right, I'm not going to tell you exactly what date yet because we're working on that. But the first part of the year, we're going to have something to show you. We'll put pictures up on the screen. We'll talk about what it's going to look like. We'll talk about how much it's going to cost. Okay? It's going to cost a lot of money. Stuff isn't cheap, and uh, we're going to talk about that too. And we're going to make some challenges to you uh, but about the fact that with this church, we believe this church has a bright future and that we can move out of this place into that place and then begin to meet there and then eventually meet in other places as well. So, so that's all that's coming up. Just want you to know about that. Ask that you continue to pray uh, that, that we will have wisdom as we do that and we will do exactly what God wants us to do for his church. This is God's church. It's not my church, not Donnie's church, not this awesome band's church. It's God's church, and we want to pray that we do the what's best for that. Hey, um, Christmas is on the way, and I know some of you walked in here today and you immediately got offended because it's not yet Thanksgiving, and we already have Christmas decorations up. Listen, I understand. I don't allow Christmas decorations to go up in our house until after Thanksgiving, too. I'm one of those people. But this year, Thanksgiving comes really late, and so we started looking at the calendar. We wanted to celebrate it several days here with you on Sunday mornings, and we didn't want to miss out on all the opportunities. So, so we started a little early because this, thing, this Thursday is coming Thursday is Thanksgiving, and I'm already, I don't know about you, I'm already looking forward to it. I told Sherry last night, we were sitting there watching ball games, and I just all of a sudden I just looked at her and I said, I'm really looking forward to all the food I'm going to get to eat on Thursday and Friday. Because, see, we do Thanksgiving on Thursday, then we go down to Columbia to my parents, we do Thanksgiving on Friday. So on Thursday, I'm going to get Sherry's mama's dressing. It is absolutely the best dressing that you can have with turkey that I've ever had, and it's delicious. And then I'm going to go down on Friday, and I'm going to get my mama's deviled eggs and my mama's macaroni and cheese, and good gracious, it's going to be so good. And then on Saturday, I'm going to take a nap. It's going to be awesome, right? And I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, what Thanksgiving means so much for us is that we look at Thanksgiving and we're like, oh, shoot, man, the next day it's on, right? Because right after Thanksgiving, it seems like we just go into this full steam ahead craziness going towards Christmas. We're buying stuff. We're going into debt. We're accepting gifts from people that we don't even like. And we're smiling, acting like we like them. And we're getting together with people that get on our nerves and eating with them. And all this crazy stuff happens at Christmas time. And so we're about to, about to jump right into that. But one thing that happens at Christmas that I really like 
And, and I know that it, it sounds like I'm a kid, but I think probably most of you like it too, even if you're adults. I love Christmas lights. I love to look at Christmas lights, and the more the better. You know, if you're one of those people that makes your house look like Clark Griswold's at Christmas, I love you because we ride by your house all the time, and I don't have to pay the electrical bill that you have to pay, but I love it. And, we, and there are houses that we've lived in this area now for almost 20 years, and there's houses that we've been riding by for almost that entire period of time, and we know they're going to have crazy stuff up, and we go by it every single year. And there's even one set of houses near, near where we live that we don't go by just once. It's almost like me and Grace, my daughter, we'll go by there three or four nights a week. If we're out, hey, you want to go by there? And we'll go by and look at all that because we love it. And, uh, you know, now even houses have the, have the sound that goes along with it. So you roll the windows down and you can hear the music play and it's awesome. But, you know, Christmas lights, even though sometimes we take them really far and they look tacky and all that stuff, putting up lights is a good way to celebrate Christmas because this whole idea of light is throughout the Christmas story. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking about himself, because that's what Christmas really is. It's, it's, a, it's a birthday celebration. It's a celebration of the birth of Jesus. Now, we make it into a lot of other things, but what it's really about, the reason we do anything with Christmas, is because it is about the birth of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this about himself when he was on the earth. He was talking to some of his followers, and he said this. It's in John eight twelve. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. He said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus identified himself when he got to earth. He said, I am the light, which is a kind of a funny thing for somebody to say about themselves. Well, well this, this idea of light, you find it all through the Christmas story and really all through the New Testament. And, and we're going to talk today, uh, for, well, today and the next several weeks about light, about light and, and how it's connected to Christmas. And today what I want us to do, I want us to look in the Old Testament. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got one on your phone, turn that thing on, open your Bible up. And in the Old Testament, which is the, the first part of the Bible, there's a book called Isaiah. And it's about a man and it's written about a man and the things that a man named Isaiah, what he taught while he was on this earth. Now, back in, in the years before Jesus came, there were these men that God would speak to from time to time, and he would give them specific messages that he wanted them to share. We call these guys prophets. And, and when you look in the Old Testament, all the books about the prophets are written, they all have names like Isaiah, Micah, Joel, and then you have some weird ones like Zephaniah, um, Habakkuk, you know, those kinds of, those are all guys were prophets. And, and when you read about, and when you read in the Old Testament, you read what these prophets had to say, a lot of times they weren't predicting the future, because when we think about prophecy, we think about predicting the future. A lot of times what they said was not predicting the future, it was just God giving them a message that he wanted them to speak directly to the people, usually to the people of Israel. Sometimes they had messages that they were supposed to deliver to other nations as well. And they would take those messages and they would say what God wanted them to say. And it was usually very convicting. It was usually very harsh. And it was God telling people, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Here's what you're supposed to do instead. But every once in a while, those prophets would actually do some prophesying that had to do with the future. Talking about things that were going to happen later. Well, Isaiah was a guy that lived several hundred years before Jesus. But when you read the book of Isaiah, which is long, it's a lot of chapters... When you read that book, there's a lot of talk in there 
about Jesus. There's a lot of talk about a baby who's going to be born, and it talks in there about a guy who's going to die, and he's going to be a sacrifice for sin, and there's all this stuff. And it's Isaiah who lived several hundred years before Jesus. God had given him a revelation, had told him to tell the story of who Jesus was and and that he was going to come. And so I want us to look today at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to start by just reading all seven verses. And I'm going to get to verse 6, and and you might, when I read verses 1 through 5, you might think, I've never heard this before. When I get to verse 6, chances are almost all of you in here will go, oh yeah, I've heard that before. So let's listen while uh, Isaiah speaks to us. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah had a very clear message that he wanted to tell to the people of Israel at that time. And what he wanted to tell them was that that one day somebody was going to come and it was going to change everything. And the message was this, and that message still is true for us today. And that message is that light has come into our dark world. Light has come into our dark world. When I was a kid, my parents took us on a vacation one time up to... uh, I, I don't even, I think it's part of it's in Tennessee and maybe part of it's in North Carolina. And I remember we were riding around and, and uh, we went to Rock City. Anybody remember Rock City? Did you go there as a kid? And the people used to have painted on the side of barns, see Rock City. And, and I don't really remember anything about Rock City. But we went to another place that, I, that made a huge impression on me and I've never forgotten. We also went to a place called Ruby Falls. And there was, those two places were right up there near each other. Now, Ruby Falls is a cave with a waterfall inside it, which to me, I was probably eight or nine or so, was the most awesome thing I'd ever seen in my life. And, but here's what I remember about Ruby Falls. I'd never been in a cave before, and um, so you go in, and, and you're with this tour group, and, and they, everything, they have lights everywhere, of course, and, and you can see all these stalagmites and stalactites and all these cool things underwater, and there was like a stream under there, and, and like I said, you get to the end, and there's a waterfall, which is pretty amazing. But, but the thing that I'll never forget about that tour is we got way down in there, and at one point, the tour guide said, now, we're going to show you what it's like in a cave without lights. We're going to show you what real darkness is. And all of a sudden, they turned out all the lights. And you know how when, when you're in a, a brightly lit place, 
and then the lights go out. Immediately you can't see anything, but if you sit there long enough, in just a little bit your eyes start to adjust, and you can begin to see shapes and things like that. Inside that cave, when they turned out everything, we sat there and we, the tour guide continued to talk, and your eyes never adjusted anything. You, it was, I was literally holding my hand right here and could not see it. I knew there were people all around me, and I could not see them at all. And the reason why is there was no light at all. So there was nothing for my eye to pick up to begin to be able to make out shapes. It was complete and total, utter darkness. And that is the natural state of a cave. When you get down far enough in it, there's no outside light coming in. There's no way the sun can get down there, and so it's complete darkness. Well, the state of our world is the same. We live in a world, whether we want to admit it or not, we live in a world where the state of it is darkness. If left to itself, it is complete and utter darkness. And I think if we are honest, I think we'll admit that we can see that. We see that there are problems in the world we live in. You, you turn on the news and you see that there are stories of, of stealing and, and dishonesty and murder and, and all these other things. And we realize we live in a world where there's a problem. There's a problem in the world we live in. There's darkness in this world. And then if we really want to get, get personal and we really want to be honest, we don't even have to turn on the TV. We can just look into our own hearts. And we can look into ourselves. I know that I can. And I can look into myself and I can realize that, that there are times when I'm extremely selfish. And there are times when I don't want what's best for somebody else, but I take pleasure when something bad happens to somebody that I don't like. And I can look in myself and I can see that sometimes I'm not willing to forgive. And I realize I don't have to turn on the TV to see it. I can look in my own heart and realize that there is a darkness in the world that we live in. And in verse 2, Isaiah talks about that. He says, the people walking in darkness... And then he says, on those living in the land of deep darkness. Now, what we know to be true is that the darkness in the world is called sin. Now, that's not a popular word nowadays. In fact, that word is, uh, you know, we sang a song up here a while ago that a lot of people would, would consider old-timey, and it is an old-timey song. And there are people that think that the word sin is, is old-timey, and we shouldn't talk about it in church. We shouldn't talk about it definitely at work, and it's just something that, that we've re used a lot of other words to replace for the word sin. But sin is a word that's, that's used throughout the Bible. And in fact, there was a guy named the Apostle Paul, and, and he wrote most of the New Testament. And in one of the books that he wrote, it was a, it was a letter actually that he wrote to a group of people at a Roman church, and so the, the book is called the Book of Romans. In the Book of Romans, you know what Paul said about sin? Paul said that all of us have sinned, every single one of us, that we're all guilty of it. You, me, your husband, your wife, your kids, and your parents are like, yeah, heck yeah, I know my kids have sinned. I beat it out of them, right? That's what you're thinking as a parent. But, but even, even like your grandmother, even Billy Graham, Billy Graham is, is, was in the hospital last week and, and, uh, and there were lots of people praying for him and, and I was thinking about his life. And when I was growing up, I thought Billy Graham had never said a cuss word or never done anything wrong. But even Billy Graham, all of us have sinned. And that sin is what has brought darkness into the world. So the fact that the world we live in is dark should come as no surprise to us. 
We all should, we all should look around and look into our hearts and realize, yeah, this is a dark world. But here's what, here's what is surprising. Here's what should we, that, that is a miracle that we should never get over and, and we should never uh, uh, move past and, and think that it's not that big of a deal. The, the big deal is that, that, that God has chosen to bring light into our dark world. In verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And here's the most amazing thing about the whole story is that the way God chose to bring light into the world was through a baby. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One thing I like about reading the Bible, and, uh, and it's, a, it's something that some people have a, have a problem with the Bible about, I love the fact that when you read the Bible, there's just tons of stories in there of miracles, of things that when you read it, it's, you, look, you read it and you go, nothing like that has ever happened in my life. That is just crazy. And just weird, wacky things like oceans being split apart and uh, you know, just crazy stuff, people coming back from the dead and all this stuff that you read and it's like, how in the world, what is going on here? And I love the, to read those stories in the Bible. Well, when you read the Christmas stories in the Bible, which most of those happen in the very first part of Matthew and the very first part of Luke. So if you go home today and you want to read the Christmas stories of the Bible, I would encourage you to do that. Read the first couple of chapters of Matthew, first couple of chapters of Luke. And in those stories, there's like a bunch of miracles that are all piled up together. It's like God did all these miracles at once. You've got stuff like uh, there was a census, there was a a pagan anti-God government leader who decided he wanted to count everybody that lived in his country. And he said, all right, we need to count everybody. And he thought that he was doing that just because he was so powerful. But what he didn't realize is the real reason he was doing that was so that Mary and Joseph would be at Bethlehem at the right time for Jesus to be born. That's a miracle. Then you've got a star that just moves across the sky in ways that stars aren't supposed to move. And then you've got angels showing up all over the place. You've got angels showing up to talk to Joseph and Mary and a group of shepherds. I mean, there's just all these miracles that are piled up there. Oh, you got... Oh, can't forget this one. you got a virgin having a baby, all right? That, that never happens. I, I, that never, ever happens. I know some of you are like, I know a couple of them that claimed they were and they had a baby. Right, but they weren't, right? This was a real virgin that had a real baby. And, and so you got all these miracles piled up there together, but we can't ever lose focus of the fact that the greatest miracle of all of the Christmas story is that there was a baby born who was God in the flesh. And that that child came into the world to bring light into a dark world. That that child came into the world to, to do something that we couldn't do for ourselves. When I was a, um, a kid and a teenager, and, and more when I was a teenager, I had this friend of mine. I'd known him most of my life because we went to church together. And, uh, and then we got to be real good friends when I was in high school. And, uh, and this guy, if you take the top five dumb things I've done in my life. I was with this guy for probably three out of the five, all right? And uh, that's the kind of stuff that, that we did in high school. Also, though, if you take like the top five times I've laughed till I thought I was going to get sick in my life, I was probably with him like four out of the five, right? And so that's the kind of guy this, this guy was. He was a friend of mine. And uh, when we were in high school one time, we, were, we would go fishing. We had a couple of little ponds around uh, Columbia that we would go fishing at. Sometimes we had permission, sometimes we didn't, and we would, you know, kind of sneak around. But anyway, we were going fishing at this pond. 
And, uh, and we had fished for a few hours and we're coming back after lunch. And, uh, and it was a dirt road, which dirt roads down in Columbia where I grew up, you know, here everything is red mud. There it's more of a sandy, there's not a lot of mud. And so it's a softer kind of a, softer kind of a ground. And, uh, and we're coming back down this dirt road and we're doing what teenage boys do when they've got a car on a dirt road and nobody's around, we're seeing how much we can get the back end to go back and forth, right? And kids, teenage boys, that's a stupid decision, and I'm about to tell you why. All right, so, so, so that's what we were. I, was, I wasn't driving, but listen, it wasn't like I was saying, oh, please don't do that. I mean, we were, you know, having a good time. So, so we're, you know, going through there, and we're fishtailing that thing and slinging up sand on both sides of the road, and all of a sudden, it takes a ter- uh, curve that he wasn't expecting, and he ends up kind of going over this ridge, and all of a sudden, we're down with the, with the bottom of the car on the sand, and all four wheels are, are digging in, try, or the two back wheels are digging in, trying to get, and all, we're slinging sand, and that back of that car is just getting lower and lower and lower. And all of a sudden, we realize, we get out, and we look, and we, we're stuck. And now this, now, we were dumb, all right? Just tell you right up front, we were dumb. But it didn't take us long to figure out, to look at the situation and go, you know what? We can't fix this. We don't have what it takes to fix this problem. So what did we do? We started walking. We got up to the main road. There was a house there. We saw a big truck in the driveway, and we're like, that guy right there is about to pull us out of the sand. He doesn't realize it yet. And so we walked to the door, and we made up some story about how we you know, lost control of the car, but we were really only going like 10 miles an hour, all this kind of stuff. And, this, and it was so funny. I don't know if you've ever done this as a, as a teenager or you know, young person. You're telling a story to an older person, and they're looking at you, and you're thinking that you're fooling them, but in the back of their mind, they're going, no, I did the same thing. You're stupid. I'll help you out. Right, so that, that's what, so this older guy, he gets a chain and he gets his truck and he comes and he pulls us out. But here was the deal. We were in a situation that we created, right? That guy had nothing to do with us getting stuck. But in order for us to get out of that, we had to have outside help that had to come in to get us out of the mess that we created. Well, the story of Christmas and when, when Jesus brought light into the world, The story of Christmas is the first step in God taking care of a problem that we created. God didn't bring sin into the world. We did. Adam and Eve, our mother and father from many, many years ago, Genesis chapter 3, they decided they were going to do the one thing God told them they shouldn't do. And why did they do it? Because they wanted to be like God. And ever since then, we've come into this world and we have continued that tradition of trying to be like God. God says, don't do this, and we think, I know better than him, and we do the opposite. God says, here's the best way you should run your marriage, and you think, no, I'm going to do something else, and I'm going to flirt with the lady that I work with. God says, you know, this is how you should do your money, and you say, no, I'm going to spend more than I make. We we continue to do it. We continue the tradition of sin. And the only way that we can be saved from that, the only way we can get out of that, is it takes God intervening in our life. See, I don't want you to miss this important part of the Christmas story about light coming into our dark world, is that God took the initiative. Don't miss that. God took the initiative. It was His action. It was His choice to intervene. It was because of Him that light came into the world. Uh, it, it's also like, um, I don't know how many of y'all, I, I know a lot of y'all have kids, and 
Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this with kids, but sometimes I'll experience this on Sunday mornings. We, we meet here and, and we leave here, and my goal when we leave here every Sunday morning is for the, the faculty and the staff and the students at Greer High School to not be able to tell we were, we were here. I want us to leave no trace, no, no problems, anything. And so when we're leaving, sometimes a lot of y'all are leaving and, and the, the guys that, that tear down all this equipment, they're in here tearing down. The, the folks that tear down all of our nurture equipment, they're tearing that down and getting it loaded up. And I'll just start doing a walkthrough and seeing how things look. And every once in a while, they'll, we'll be sitting out there and on the cafeteria tables, there'll be three or four cups of orange juice or a couple cups of coffee sitting there that somebody drank and they didn't throw away. And every once in a while, there'll be a couple of kids sitting there near that. And this is what I'll do, just because it's the kind of guy I am. I'll walk by and I'll say, hey, will you pick that up and throw that away? And not all the time, but a lot of times, what those of you that are teachers or those of you who have kids, can you guess what sometimes those kids say? Uh, man, it's like y'all have raised children. Yeah. <laughs> They'll look at me and say, it's not mine. To which I say, I didn't ask you if it was yours. Will you please throw it away from me? Right? That's what I'll do. Now, why do kids do that? Well, because they're dumb, right? <laughs> and I know some, it's so funny. I said that, and some of you were like, dumb? My kids aren't dumb. Yes, they are. If, if it weren't for you, they'd still be using the bathroom in their pants. We come into the world dumb, right? As children, we enter into the world, and we're dumb. We have to have people to teach us things. And so what do you teach your child? Well, the first thing you teach your child is you clean up your own mess. And then once they've got that, you start saying, and guess what? You also clean up the messes of other people sometimes. And thank, I'm so thankful that we have a God that didn't look down on this situation and look at all this sin and say, well, I didn't create that. I'm not going to do anything about it. It's not mine. No, God looked down at the earth that he made, at the people that he made, and he saw what we did to what he made, and he said, I'm going to clean that up. Why? Because they can't do it for themselves. See, don't miss this, this fact that we live in a dark world that's darkened by our sin, and there's nothing that we can do to make it better. We can't talk our way out of it. We can't read our way out of it. We can't buy our way out of it. There's nothing we can do to make that situation better. It takes outside intervention. It takes God taking the initiative. It takes action that only he can take. And the, he started that action when he brought his son, Jesus, to the earth in the form of a baby in a stable in Bethlehem. That was his outside intervention to clean up our mess. Look at verses, look, look back at verse 3. You can see even the way that Isaiah wrote this, that he's talking that it's all about what God has done. Every time it says you in these verses, he's saying this is what God has done for us. You, God, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Then look to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Who gave the son? God. And who did he do it for? Us. Did we deserve it? No. Did we create the problem? Yes. And it was God that intervened, that looked down and saw what we had done, and he intervened by sending his son, his, his, his sending light into a dark world. 
God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. See, just as, just as light is the only cure for darkness. I mean, when you're in the dark, when I was in that cave in Ruby Falls when I was a kid, the only thing that was going to take that darkness away was somebody turning a light on. It's the only thing that does it. Just as light is the only cure for darkness, Jesus is the only cure for our sin. The light of Jesus is the only cure for the darkness of our sin. And it began in a, in a stable, and then it led to Jesus having a ministry where he taught and he healed people, and then it led to a cross where he willingly sacrificed his life for us, and then that led to a resurrection where he came back from the dead to prove once and for all that he was stronger than sin, that he was stronger than death. And then it leads to one day he's going to come back and he's going to get those people who have given their lives and their hearts to him. But it's all about the action that he has taken. And that's what the story of the gospel is all about. When we talk about the gospel, we talk about good news, and we say it's the story of Jesus, that's what it's all about. The fact that God intervened for our sin and he cleaned up the mess that we were unable to clean up ourselves. See, the most important thing you can do this Christmas season. It's more important than buying something good for your kids or creating some great Christmas memory. The most important thing that you can do is that you can give your life to Jesus if you have not already done so. You can say to Him, God, I've got darkness in my heart. I have sin in my heart that I created and I can't take care of it, but I know that you can. I know that's why you came into the world and I trust what you did on the cross. I trust the resurrection and it's because of that that I will give you my life. And I want to tell you today that if you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to consider today what are you going to do about your sin? Because the answer is you can't fix it. But I know the one who can. And he came into this world he brought light into the dark world and he can bring his light into the darkness of your heart. Now, if you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus, what's the best thing you can do this Christmas? Best thing you can do this Christmas is you can live your life thankfully and sacrificially understanding every day that the only chance you've got, the only reason that you can celebrate Christmas, the only reason you can celebrate being forgiven of sin, it has nothing to do with anything you've done. It has to do everything with what He has done for us. And you know what? Here, and here's the great thing. Obviously, accepting Jesus, the, the biggest benefit of that is being forgiven of your sin. And, and the reason that's such a big benefit are so many reasons, but one is sin sends you to hell. And so if you're forgiven of your sin, then you no longer have to go to hell. You can go to heaven when you die. doesn't get much better than that. But you know what else is cool? Is that it gives us things for today, for the life we live today. It, it, it gives us joy. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. When you give your life to Jesus, it is a life of joy. Now, that doesn't mean everything goes the way you want it. That doesn't mean you're always happy. Because happiness and joy are two different things. But what it means is, is no matter what you experience, there is a deep joy in your life that you know that God's got it under control. You know what else you can experience? You can experience freedom. 
Verse 4, For as in the day of Midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Our oppressor is sin. It's our sin that we create, and it's, a, it, it's an oppression against us, and it, it weighs us down. And Jesus said we can have freedom from that sin if we accept the light that he brings into the world. And the last thing you can have is you can have peace. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. It means the war is over. There is peace. You know what? The Apostle Paul, who wrote that book to the Romans, he wrote another book to a group of people called the Philippians. You know what he said to them? He said the peace that comes from God is a peace that transcends understanding. That means when everything else in your life is chaos, when people would look at you and they would think there's nothing peaceful about that guy's life, somehow, because of what God has done in your heart, because of the work that Jesus is doing in you, there is a peace. And it doesn't make sense, but it's there. This Christmas, don't miss this miracle. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God has taken the initiative to fix our sin problem. And let's celebrate that every day this Christmas season. Don't miss that. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go out of here. If you're here today and you know that you need to accept Jesus to do something about your sin problem, and you don't know exactly what you need to do about that, I want you to come see me after the service. I'll be right down here at the front. Bust through people, elbow your way down here to get to me, and we'll talk about it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the miracle of Christmas. The greatest miracle of all, the fact that you brought hope and light into our dark world. That you came in to take the initiative to clean up the mess we made Thank you so much that you loved us enough to do that. I pray that in my life that I would celebrate that, that every morning that I would wake up, that I would wake up and realize that I have joy and I have peace and I have freedom because of what you've done for me. And I pray that same thing for everybody who's here today, that they would celebrate that every day this Christmas season. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.